सहनावतो सहनो भुनक्तो सह वीरकरवाह तेजस्वीतमस्तुम विदिषावह शातिशाशाति पूर्णमद पूर्णमिद पूर्णात्ूर्णमुदच्यते पूर्ण से पूर्णमा पूर्णमेव नशिष्य शातिशातिश्रुतिस्मृतिपुराणय कुणालय नमा भगवत्द शोकशंकराचार्य केशव बादरायण सूत्रभाष्यत वंदे भगवतुनःश्वरो गुरुरात्मी मूर्ति भेद विभागिने व्योमेहाय दक्षिणमूर्तमर्ति चक्रम नानुवर्तयतीहयुरीद्रियाम मोघं पार्थ स जीवते यस्वात्मरतिरेवस्यात्मतृप्त मानव यस्तु वन हु रेवेल्स इन इज ओन सेल्फ आत्मनिव संतुष्ट आत्मतृप्त है वन इज ट्रूली कंटेंट विथ हिमसेल्फ रति तुष्टि एंड तृप्ति इज विस्टरडे दिस थ्री लेवल्स ऑफ हैप्पीनेस बाय ड्वेलिंग अपॉन समथिंग दैट यू लव और द थॉट ऑफ समथिंग दैट यू लव बाय प्रोसेसिंग व्हाट यू लव एंड फाइनली एंजॉइंग व्हाट यू लव दी हैप्पीनेस increases at every level <coughs> an ordinary person an ignorant person is dependent upon the objects of the world things other than himself for each level of this happiness whereas wise person has discovered this happiness with his own self his self is no different from anybody else's self because self is of the nature of happiness and therefore one who is totally content with oneself this is what knowledge does Meaning, removal of ignorance does this. Ignorance, which brings about wrong notion about myself, ignorance brings about a notion that I am incomplete, I am inadequate. That brings about desire to become complete or adequate. That brings about various actions. 
This is a process because of ignorance. So removal of ignorance means removal of likes and dislikes. When I see myself as inadequate, insignificant, then there is a dissatisfaction of my own self. The stronger the dissatisfaction is, stronger is the ignorance. So what this process of Karma Yoga does, as we discussed yesterday, that process of reaching out, of being helpful, of doing your action out of pleasure, out of joy, with a desire to make someone else happy, to become a contributor, to see one's role as a contributor rather than a consumer. What that does is, we tap into our own source of happiness every time we perform that kind of an action, we bring the manifestation happiness which ourselves. Because every time you perform an action of reaching out, you get rid of your likes and dislikes to that extent, and more and more you do, more and more likes and dislikes are given up. More and more the happiness with yourself just becomes evident. No special or separate effort is needed to become happy, automatically, because you are happy. Only happiness is inhibited. All we need to do is remove those inhibiting factors. And that's the purpose of Karma Yoga. Finally, one comes to know, of course, that happiness is myself, that I am Anandaha. I am complete, I am whole, complete being. Now he has nothing to do. Whatever doing was there has already culminated into this achievement, which is freedom, which is moksha, and now nothing remains to be done. Nothing remains to be achieved. <coughs> Even if the wise person does something, it is not for achieving something. <coughs> At least there is no personal agenda. All the agenda is gone, and therefore nothing remains to be done. We, we have to do something as long as we have an agenda. With no agenda, nothing has to be done. This is a compulsion that he has to do something. <coughs> he may do something if the destiny so determines. He may not do anything if the destiny is such. But as far as he is concerned, nothing remains to be accomplished. Nothing remains to be done. This is the total success. This is really the measure of absolute success in life. Where one has this sense of total fulfillment. That I have done what needs to be done. I have accomplished what needs to be accomplished. I have reached what needs to be reached. I have known what needs to be known. And so, yallabhanna paralabha Beyond which gain, there is no greater gain than this. There is no greater knowledge than this. There is no greater accomplishment than the self. Kari means kartavyam, something which has to be done. No such thing remains for this person. <coughs> if you remember, you may not remember. But in the fourth verse, Lord Krishna said, Na karmanam anarambhat naishkarmyam purusha asnude. Here you know, naishkarmya, a freedom from action cannot be attained by abstaining from action. By non-performance action, you cannot gain freedom from action. So what is freedom from action? Here, tasya kāryam na vidyade. 
then I need not, there nothing remains to be done for me. This is freedom from action. Freedom of compulsion for action. Otherwise I am compelled. Something within me, the sense of inadequacy, sense of insignificance, that dissatisfaction with myself compels me to do things. I have no choice not to do. Tastikaryam navidyade, there is no compulsion, and thus this is called freedom from action. Freedom from action is not absence of action. Freedom from action is freedom from the cause of action. <clears throat> what is the cause of action? The pressure, the compulsion is the cause of action. Those desires which compel you to do things, that's the cause of action. So freedom from action is freedom from the cause of action. How come there is no desire in the part, on the part of this person? Because... All his desires satisfied. How come they are satisfied? Because what's the desire behind all the desires? It's a desire of happiness. What kind of happiness? Unconditional happiness. That's the nature of the self. And therefore, having known the self, one becomes the owner, not the attainer, owner of the unconditional happiness. We just own up what we are, we don't have to achieve something else. So he owns up his nature with unconditional happiness, with ananda, which is fullness. And therefore nothing remains to be done. So this is called freedom from action. At the level of his body we'll see, action may go on. But now action are not performed because he has to do something. It is his pleasure to do something. Now his action is not for the sake of happiness, it is out of happiness. And so you can do something even when you are happy. It's not that you have to do something just because you want happiness. Generally that's the case. But then you can do something out of happiness. <clears throat> so here is a person who has no compulsion to do something. If he does something, it is out of his fullness. <clears throat> Describing that wise person in the next verse again, in verse 18... Somebody say, how do you say that he doesn't have to do anything? Why? Does he not have to achieve some material prosperity? Does he not want wealth, prosperity, name, fame, recognition? Does he not need those things? Or does he not need heaven? Does he not need moksha? Does he not need those things? So in reply to that, Lord Krishna says, Nākṛte neha kaschana Nachāsya sarva bhūteshu Kaschidarthabhya pāśraya Naevatasya kṛtena arthaha Kṛtena means karmana Nāstya kṛtam Nasti Krutam Krutena in this mantra of Mundaka Upanishad. Nastya Krutam Krutena. That Krutam is Karmana. Kru Dhatu is the same. Kru means to do. So Karma also is from that and Kruta also is from that only. So Krutena means Karmana. Tasya Karmana Na Arthaha. Artha means Prayojanam. He has no purpose to serve by. How come? Tasya karyam na How come you say that 
he now nothing, he doesn't have to do anything. Or nothing remains to be done for him. Or he does not have to do anything. How come? Because normally you do something in order to accomplish some end. It's called prayojanam. Prayojanam is purpose. Usually an action is performed to accomplish a certain purpose. To fulfill a certain purpose. But there is no purpose left. Purpose can be twofold. Abhyudaya and Nishreyasa. Abhyudaya means material prosperity. Nishreyasa means moksha. So these two branches are there. One is the life of bhoga. Other is life of yoga. Meaning life of consumption. Life of liberation. <coughs> Abhyudaya. Nishreyasa. These are the two things people want. Although they talk of four purusharthas, dharma, kama, moksha, but actually they can be reduced to two, abhyudaya and nishreya. These are kama and moksha are the purusharthas. Kama means gratification and moksha means liberation. These are the two purusharthas. So they are called abhyudaya, nishreya. The Sangha has called it bhoga, apavarga. Bhoga means pleasure, enjoyment, gratification. Apavarga means moksha, liberation. Depending upon the maturity of a person, what you want depends upon your maturity. What is your understanding of life? What have you learned from your experiences? Most people do not learn from their experiences, and therefore they still continue to value only material accomplishments. Abhuda. That's what a person may want. It's not a crime to have desire for material prosperity as long as you adopt the legitimate means to fulfill your desire, so long it's okay. But it is not wise to give importance to the material accomplishments because then I am valuing other things more than I value myself. Then I have desire for material prosperity shows a lack of maturity on my part, vivek on my part. We have not understood what it is that can give me a real satisfaction. If I understand the real satisfaction comes only from myself. Other things have no capacity to give me happiness or satisfaction. If things appear to give satisfaction merely in appearance, it's a delusion. You can use the word delusion there. Like a dog which keeps on chewing a dry bone. It keeps chewing and chewing. What does it get out of dry bone? Seems to get some kind of a juice from there. The dry bone in fact cuts you know, his own mouth from which the blood is oozing out. <coughs> and he is tasting his own blood. Thinking and not realizing that he is enjoying his own blood. He thinks that it's coming from the bone. And so also when we are experiencing or thinking that Something else is giving me happiness. It is my own happiness that I am enjoying. It is not understood. Which it is not by most people. In which case, abhyudaya or material prosperity remains still the most important for them. For a few people who have the maturity, who realize the limitations, nastya krta krtena, parikshalokan, karmachitan, brahmana, nirvedamayat. When you do the pariksha, when you really analyze, when you take stock of your life, analyze your own experiences and experience of other people also, with the help of what you study from the scriptures, you realize 
that whatever the world can give you is going to be limited. And what you're seeking is limitless. And therefore, it is not possible for anything to give you that, that you will discover from your own self. If this kind of insight comes, which came in on the part of Arjuna, the reason why we are fortunate to have the teaching of Bhagavad Gita is because Arjuna discovered this in the midst of battlefield. When he was deeply grieving, he was extremely grief-stricken at the prospect of the death of his near and dear ones. In that pain, somehow he discovered that what he had been doing so far was not right, meaning that that would not satisfy what actually he wanted. That is why he requested Lord Krishna to give him knowledge, to teach him. Shadimam Tvam Prapannam, I am surrendered to you, I am your disciple, please teach me. Tadvignanasam, Saguru Mevavigachet. Somehow that desire for knowledge has to arise. It may be the result of the lots of punya karma, virtues of many lives of the past, that this insight comes. And so, if you have that insight, then you desire moksha, or what they call nishreyasa. So these can be the two possible desires. Abhyudaya, nishreyasa. <coughs> now this person has nothing, no, no such thing, because abhyudaya, even prosperity you want for happiness, for the pleased self. Whatever you want, you want it for the pleased self. Atmanastu kamaya for the sake of one's own self. When the Atma is anything, Atmanam ched vijaniyat, ayamasmi di purushah, kimichan, kasya kamaya, shariram anusanjvare. Says Bhrudhanandika Upanishad, Atmanam ched vijaniyat, when you come to know the true nature of yourself, ayamasmi di purushah, ayamasmi, that aham brahma, I am brahman, I am purnaha, I am complete, when you come to see this fact. And don't debate about how can it happen, Swamiji is beyond, don't bother about that. You know, because self is self-revealing, and the buddhi has a capacity to know that. And don't struggle with all kinds of things in the mind as to how to know this. Just prepare your mind, gain the antahakana shuddhi, and things, you know, atma reveals itself always. <coughs> so, I must be the purusha. When this purusha, the person recognizes that, I am Brahman. Kimichan, kasyakamaya. What object of desire remains now? Because what you mean by wholeness is all inclusive. He discovers that everything is a self. There is nothing apart from the self that can be called the object of desire. So what can I desire? I can desire something that is different from myself. I cannot desire from my little finger. So I have a desire that I want my middle finger. You can't have that. That's you. You can't have a desire for yourself. And so, suppose your notion of the self changes, then the nature of desire also will change. Suppose you discover that this family is you, the neighborhood is you, the state is you, the whole universe is you, which is the nature of the self. That's called Purna, all-inclusive. In the self of the I, everything gets included. Right now, when I think of I, I exclude you. You are not I, 
I am not you. This is an in- exclusive knowledge I have. But what's the nature of the self? All inclusive. I is limitless. This consciousness is all inclusive. So when self is known that way, nothing remains apart from me. Nothing remains separate from me. Everything is the self. Therefore, there is no object of desire left. Object of desire necessarily has to be different from myself. But that is it. If something becomes an object of desire because of my false notion of myself. In the wake of the true knowledge of myself, I realize that everything is I. When I am standing in front of parallel mirrors, I see number of swamis. Oh, suppose this hall was fitted with number of mirrors, I see hundreds of swamis. And suppose each mirror was different from the other, some was concave, concave, all kinds of mirrors were there. Swamis were all looking different also. Some fair and some chubby and some tall and whatever. If I was not a wise person, I would think that all those fellows are different from me. Then I would know something about them. I like that fellow, I don't like it, I hate this. But this attachment average is for whom? Arrive in ignorance that what I am looking at is my own self. You must have heard the story of the dog, king's dog. This king was very fond of a dog. And the king also was very fond of himself. Very self-conscious. How he looked. So he had to, before he went, went out for some procession or some public display, he had to look at himself how you look from the front, from the back, from above, from, because people are watching him from all sides, so you should know how he looks from every side. So he had special, he had made a hall, a room specially fitted with mirrors. So before going out, he would go into this hall, look at himself, satisfied, and then would go out. He had instructed his people never to let his dog get into that room, never. And as soon as he came out of the room, the door will be locked. And so, that was a routine. Someday it happened that the door was not locked, it was open. And the dog, just running around, he came out there, curiously went inside. That's the nature of a dog. They see an open door, they go in there. <coughs> and wow, what does he find? He finds the dog there. It barks, oh, that thing barks. Looks this way, again barks, that dog barks back. And this fellow is scared. He attacks, he is attacked in, you know, in return. When the king, king returned from his trip, he did not see the dog anywhere for a long time. He asked for the whereabouts of the dog, where is he? Then he suspected where the dog could be. He came to the room where the mirrors were fitted. And he found the dog in the corner room in a pool of blood. This fellow kept fighting and fighting and fighting with the dogs, thinking they're different from him. When something different from me, either I would hate it or love it. All attachment, aversion, hatred, love, they're all possible for things that are different from me. Never, I never hate myself. I never hate one finger in, in preference to the other one. Or I love this finger and hate the other one. These things are never there. There cannot be attachment or aversion for the self. But that is the nature of self. 
Atma or I, what we call it. In fact, what is this dimension? It's not confined to this body, not confined to anything. All confinements are illumined by the self, there is consciousness. And so when you discover that nature of yourself, Kimitchan, what object of desire remains? Nothing, no object because all desire, everything is included, all desire satisfied. It's called Aptakama, Atmakamaha. Aptakama, whose desires are all accomplished. Why? Atma, because he has discovered that all objects of desire nothing but himself. Kasyakamaya, there is no desire also left. No desire is left because there cannot be desire and wholeness. No object of desire is left because nothing desirable is in the self. That is the vision of the wise person. And therefore, tasyakaryam, there is nothing to be done now. By doing something, he doesn't have accomplished anything. Everything is already accomplished. Whatever was thought to be, you know, whatever was thought to be an object of accomplishment is now seen as one's own self. Artha means prayojanam. No prayojanam. No purpose is served by doing something. Because no personal agenda is left. And therefore, no personal purpose is served by doing anything. All right. See, action is performed for two reasons. In the, this is a Vedic culture. One reason is that you perform an action because you want to achieve something. Second reason is that you perform an action because there is a threat. If you fail to perform your duty, you are incurring sin. Akarane pratyavaya. If you do not do what you are required to do, you are in, you incur sin. You wind up going to hell. So all right, this wise person, you know, need to perform action because he has nothing to accomplish. Okay. But how about his duties? Everybody is to perform duties. So he also has duties which he must perform. And if he fails to perform the duty, then he will incur sin. So at least to avoid that sin, he has to do something. So Lord Krishna says, Nākrutenehe kasyana. There is nothing to be lost by not doing something. See, you perform an action either because you want to gain something, or you avoid a loss. Action can be performed for gaining what you don't have, or avoiding loss of what you have. He has nothing to gain, he has nothing to lose. Therefore, by performing action, he has nothing to gain, because everything is already gained. He has nothing to lose, because nothing can be lost from the limitless. Limitless is not available for any transaction. Limitless plus something also remains limitless. Limitless minus something also remains limitless. Therefore, limitlessness is that which is free from vriddhi and share, gain and loss. And so, nothing to be achieved by doing something, nothing to be lost by not doing something. But Swami, you just told about his duty. He fails to... These are mimamsakas. You know, Shankaracharyaji always had to contend with this. <coughs> mimamsakas. You saw that debate, you know, between Adi Shankaracharya and Mandana Mishra. 
So what is the position of Mimamsaka? What is his pratigna? Each one of them has pratigna. Shankaraja said, my pratigna is that tattva masi, that self is limitless. One non-dual. And it's a knowledge that is the means of moksha. He said it's karma that is means of moksha. That's how they see the purport of the Veda. What do the Vedas teach? Do they teach knowledge as a primary means or karma? Vedanin says that the primary purpose of Veda, the primary purport of Veda is in self-knowledge. The Mimamsaka says the purport is, is in karma. And they quote different shrutis. They say, Yavajivam Agnihotram Juhuyad. There is one statement in the Veda which says, You should perform Agnihotra karma as long as you are alive. Agnihotra karma stands for the duties. You must perform your duties as long as you are alive. Nobody is free from duties. And that is why Mimamsakas do not accept sannyasa. Sanyasa means what? Renunciation of duty. That's not acceptable. Shruti Veda says, you must perform in duty as long as you are alive. So this is where Shankaracharya had to now argue with Mimamsakas. Now this statement that one should perform one's duty as long as one is alive is applicable to whom? Mimamsaka says, is applicable to everybody. Vedanya is applicable to only ignorant person, not to the wise person. You understand this difference? You see, Veda's statements should be analyzed. If you take a statement out of context, then all kinds of problems can arise. So, this statement that one should perform one's duty as long as one is alive, it applies to whom? Mimamsaka says, it applies to everybody. Vedanya says, it only applies to an ignorant person. It doesn't apply to a wise person. Why? What do you think it doesn't apply? Because Veda says, for example, if you take a statement of Veda, Jyotishtvamena Svarga Kamo Yajeta One who is desirous of Svarga should perform a ritual called Jyotishtvama. Or a Brahmana should do this, a Grihastha should do this, a Brahmachari should do that, a Kshatriya should do this. This is Adhikari. And so now when you say, when we, when I suppose say from here, come on Devadatta clap, nobody claps. Devadatta please clap. Nobody claps. Why? Because nobody thinks that he is addressed. You know? So, Ashok, please clap. Then I would expect Ashok to clap. You know, if he doesn't clap, then I will take him to task. So, Ashok, please clap. Then he would clap. Because he understands that he is being addressed. Now, Veda says, Brahma, you do this. Now, who will do that? Whoever thinks that is Brahma will do that. Right? A householder should do this. So who will follow that command? One who thinks is a householder will follow the command. You understand this? But who is the wise person? One who has become free from all identifications. Therefore, who does not equate himself to his body, 
He doesn't equate himself and doesn't look upon himself as a householder, as a brahmana, kshatriya, as even a man or a woman. I am Brahman. So when Veda says a human being should perform action for the whole life, duty for the whole life, is applicable to one who thinks he is a human being. He doesn't think so. His identification, identity has changed. And therefore Shankaracharya says, look, this instruction of the Veda also is not up to the wise person because he doesn't have adhikaritam, he doesn't have fitness, he doesn't look upon himself as an individual. This is just to give you a little flavor of the kind of arguments that go on. But this also enables under, us to see what's the nature of knowledge. What is knowledge? What is knowledge of a self is when one becomes free from all complexes. And we, are, we have many complexes arising from identi- identifying ourselves, the body or the mind. So when I equate myself with the body, then I will claim I'm a man or a woman. I'm tall or short, I'm fat or lean, I'm dark or fair, I'm handsome or otherwise. All of these complexes because I equate myself with the body. I'm bright or I'm dull, equating myself with the intellect. Happy and happy, equating myself with the mind. Hungry, thirsty, equating myself with the prana. Thus these notions about myself are derived from equating myself with one or the other aspect of the personality. But when I know that the personality is not I, am the person manifesting through personality. Then there are no complexes. In which case, no duties remain understand. This is called naishkarmyam. What is naishkarmyam? Freedom from action. When does it come? Not by non-performing action. But by knowing the true nature of the self, who then is not available for any action. Therefore, a wise person has nothing to lose by not doing something. <coughs> Meaning that he is no more available for any injunctions, any command. Even Vedas also cannot command that a wise person should do this or not do that. They very proudly say that even, though, even Lord Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita that he, whatever he does, however the wise person conducts himself, he always sayogi mai vartate. <clears throat> he always remains in me however he conducts because there is no injunction. He is free from all complexes. And that being the case, he is free from all the duties also. <clears throat> Second line says, Nachasa saravhuteshu kashidartha vyapasaya. How come he doesn't have to do anything? Because he doesn't, is not dependent upon anybody for anything. So this is called total freedom. Freedom of dependence. We are dependent. Because we have needs. As long as I am a needy person, as long as I have something to achieve, so long I am dependent upon the means of achievement. You see? If I were to travel from here to New York City, I am dependent upon the means of transportation. If I am hungry, I am dependent upon the food to appease my hunger. I am bored, Swamiji. I am not, I'm not you know, all right, I am dependent upon television, something like that. So as long as we have some need, so long we are dependent upon that, 
which we look upon as a means of fulfilling my needs. Everybody is dependent. But here is a person who will become independent because he will become free from all the needs. As we said earlier, he is a totally non-demanding person. He does not make demands upon anybody. Why do I make demands? Why do I want people to conduct themselves in a certain way, not some other way? Because when you conduct yourself in a certain way, then I feel that I am alright. If you conduct in a different way, I think there is something wrong with me. Suppose 15 people out of this class as I am talking, just get up and go away. Suppose. I am sure that they will not do it. Suppose they do that. They may have something else, you know. Maybe somebody asked them for some volunteer work, you know, that's what they do. They assign some volunteer work. And that is more important than class, very often. Suppose some cultural program, some garba is to be done, some dance is to be done, something is to be done. They quietly get out, you know. Some people walk out also because they remember, oh, I have to go someplace. Suppose 15, 20 people just get up and go. I will have a heart attack. I say, what, what happened? I feel insulted. I feel, I feel rejected. This, I'm dependent upon you to keep me happy, really. If you smile, if you respond properly, if you make me feel that you understand, and make me feel that, oh, I'm talking so well, suppose. <laughs> then I feel I'm all right. If you look at me like, what is going on here? <laughs> suppose I'm talking, you count, you know, how many beams are there. Suppose some people, you know, even in the class, they keep reading something else. <laughs> Same book they read. Up and down, up and down, you know. I feel insulted. So what am I doing here? Am I useless? Am I no good? Do I not communicate? Whatever. Thus, whoever has need to be satisfied, to be happy, is dependent upon something other than himself or herself. Whatever I look upon as a source of happiness or security, I am dependent upon that. All this code, all kinds of emotional dependence people have, because some people are very important to me. Their approval is very important to me. If they approve, I think I'm all right. Don't approve, I think I'm not all right. What Swami says, the significant people in my life. So we depend upon people, dependent upon means of entertainment, dependent upon means of security, dependent upon emotional. Uh, Validation. Now you should validate their feelings. So my feelings, I need to be validated. All kinds of needs at every level we have, and therefore we are we are slaves. If you look at how many things you, I if I make a list of what I cannot do without, it's a long list. This I must have. This I cannot do without. That I should have. That means you are dependent, you are vulnerable, you can be manipulated. And we are manipulated, we are exploited, we are taken advantage of whenever we are dependent. So what is moksha? Independence. Not like saying I don't care, not that kind of independence, because Swami says then you do care. They are just words, I don't care, they are just words. 
without any content. This person doesn't, I don't care. He cares for everything actually. He cares for everybody. But he has no need. He has no emotional need because he's happy with himself. Emotional need arises because I am not satisfied with myself. Therefore, I need you to help me to be satisfied with myself. No emotional need. And that is the need. We are not concerned much about the need of the body. Like you need food and water, etc. That's not the need. There is enough provision for that in the world. And I don't think anybody will stay hungry. Nobody starves, you know. I mean, unless there is some, some fundamental problem there of some administration, whatever it is. <coughs> Ishwara has provided enough for the need of man. Not for the greed of man, but for need of man. So physical needs, we don't consider as needs. As long as they are not cultivated needs. Swami, physical needs, you know, I need food. But you know, not this, this crummy food here, you know, all this. I want... You know, I want Thai food and I want this food and that food. Then God is not, you know, obliged to satisfy those needs. Food, that's all He can give you. But then Chinese food and the Thai food and this food and that food, that's your problem. You take care of it. Water He can give you, but I know I must have Coke and Pepsi and what, that's your problem. But these are all emotional needs. That I want coke to satisfy my thirst is an emotional need, not a physical need. Then ultimately you drink so much coke that it becomes your physical need. That's a different thing. Basically, all cultivated needs are emotional needs. He is free from emotional needs, put it this way. Not physical needs. But the world will be happily fulfilling his physical needs. At least in India, there is a sanction for this person to go out and beg bhiksha. It's quite okay. People will be happy to give him food and whatever he needs. Nacha-asya-sarabhuteshu kaschidarthavyapashayahe He is not dependent upon anybody for accomplishing any personal end. Not that he doesn't care for anybody, he's not that kind of mean. He's just feeling totally satisfied, totally happy with himself. And though he's happy with everybody. When you're happy with yourself, you're automatically happy with the rest of the world. Unhappy I am when I'm unhappy with myself. Then I'm unhappy with you also. Then I become so edgy and sensitive and touchy. Swami, take care, you know, before you deal with this person. You just say one thing one way or the other, that's it, some explosion will take place. So you have to be careful. You have become so complex that people are difficult in relating to us, really. So wait a minute, before you go to the Swami, then make sure, you know, you behave in a certain way. Do this, that. Complexity. He's a simple person. Anybody can relate to just because they're not demanding. You become a Difficult person to deal with if you are a demanding person. No demand, become a very simple person to relate with. So, he is totally free from all dependence. Doesn't mean that he has isolated himself, he doesn't relate to anybody, he doesn't care for anybody, he hates it. No such thing. Simple person, non-demanding person. And therefore, a loving person. That's a, that's a con, you know consequence of that. But here, Lord Krishna describes freedom from action. This chapter started with the word naishkarmya. 
meaning freedom from action. What is it? That is described in these, these two verses. <coughs> Therefore, continuing with the next verse, verse 19. Tasmada saktasatatam karyam karma samachara Asakto kyacharan karma Paramapnoti purushah Tasmat therefore Yes, Juna, this is Naishkarma. So you want Naishkarma? You want freedom from action, right? Yes. So freedom from action cannot be gained by abstaining from action. Action becomes a means of gaining freedom from action. That's what Lord Krishna teaches. When action is performed in the attitude of yoga, attitude of worship, attitude of offering, then that action becomes a means of freedom from action. Like a high jump with a vault pole. You would jump six feet. You cannot do it from the ground. You use a pole and lift yourself and then what? Drop the pole. And then cross the barrier. So how the pole becomes the, the very means of becoming free from the pole, need for the pole. Transcending the pole, if you say. So also karma, action, when performed properly. People ask this question, Swamiji, you teach that we are all Brahman. Then why are you still talking about worshipping God? What, who is worshipping who? Swamiji, when you talk of worship, does it not involve duality? When you talk of non-duality, then why are, we, why are you prescribing worshipping Ishvara, which involves duality? So, conducting ourselves in the realm of duality, such that we become free from duality. The two ways, let's call karma. Karma always involves duality. But karma performed in a spirit other than yajna, Binds, meaning that it only creates a greater, greater sense of isolation. Whereas karma performed in the spirit of yajna frees, frees you from that duality. Therefore, here, you know, karyam karma samachara, Lord Krishna says, karyam karma samachara. Karya means what? That which should be done. Karya, that which should be done. Karyam karma. Here, Arjuna, you perform the action that should be done by you. That is called duty. That is called playing your role properly. That is called giving a, an appropriate response to every situation. So whatever proper, whatever response the situation expects from you, responding to the situation with that appropriateness. Meaning doing what is right to the best of your understanding. What is right may or may not be what you like. What you like may be different from what is right. Karyam karma performs that which is right. Which is appropriate Arjuna in your, for your dignity. For the status that you are enjoying. Arjuna enjoys certain status. You and I enjoy, each one of us enjoys certain status, that human beings we are, 
One may be father, mother, husband, wife, son, daughter, a master, servant, subordinate, colleague, whatever. Every situa- in every situation, I am expected to play a certain role. Perform your role properly. <clears throat> Swami doing that is very difficult. Difficult or not difficult? Painful or not painful? Do what is appropriate, what is proper. Karyam karma. Arjuna wanted to avoid that, by the way. Arjuna wanted to avoid fighting this battle because it was very painful. So avoiding pain and seeking pleasure is a, is a natural tendency. Avoiding pain because we have dislike for pain. Seeking pleasure because we have like or attachment for pleasure. So this tendency of seeking pleasure and avoiding pain brings about attachment and aversion. So whether it is painful or not, do what is right. Meaning that even if your mind says, I don't like this, do it. In that case, you will overcome or subdue that impulse of dislike. Why like that? I won't do that. No, do this because it is right. Thus you subdue the impulse of what you like. Thus, what we like and do not like, mostly these ideas are born from the ego, from a self-centered perspective. And what is right is born of the, the universal perspective. See, when the Vedas say, do this and do that, they are telling us to remain in the universal order. So what is called duty, what is called dharma, what is appropriate action is, an action in keeping with the order, an action in keeping with the values of non-violence, truthfulness, compassion. So always act out of compassion, Arjuna. How can you fight battle out of compassion, Swami? Gita is teaching violence. See, Gita seems to be a very convenient thing for people to tell us. Your scripture is teaching violence. You talk of non-violence. How Hinduism can talk of compassion? How can Hinduism talk of non-violence? When your scripture says, Tasmad Yudhyasvabharata, then it is only enjoining Arjuna to fight battle? What kind of non-violence is this? Is it not so? Isn't Lord Krishna teaching violence? When he says, Arjuna, Tasmad Yudhyasvabharata, Determined to fight, arise and do your duty. Isn't Lord Krishna teaching violence? What is violence? They have to understand what is violence. Is, is the, a given act called violence? What is non-violence? Is it a certain action that you call non-violence? Or refraining from action is called non-violence? Or certain action is called violence? No. It is attitude in your mind that is called violence or non-violence. Lord Krishna teaches that attitude. If you study Bhagavad Gita properly, Lord Krishna says in the second chapter, Tasmad uttishtha kaunteya yuddhaya krita nishcaya He kaunteya therefore determined to fight arise and do what is necessary to do. But he says, Arjuna, before you fight, do this. Immediate verses, Sukha dukhe same krutva, labha labhau, jaya jayav, tato yuddha yujyasva. 
Tata means thereafter. Thereafter, Arjuna engaged in this battle. Having done something before that, what is it? Sukha dukhe samekrutva. In your mind, we will look upon pleasure and pain as equal. Labha labho, gain and loss. Jaya jayo, victory and defeat. So first acquire the sameness of mind. Where victory and defeat, gain and loss, pleasure and pain are equal. Meaning that they are not the considerations in performing an action. You are not fighting this battle for victory. Victory or defeat? Gain or loss? That Ishwara, that Ishwara will decide. What, is, what do I have to decide? What is the right thing to do? So that is called non-violence. Where there is sameness of mind. What is violence? You are fighting to win. You are going to be violent. Swamiji, these days instinct to kill. You can win something, sport, only if you have instinct to kill. Sport, nobody means sport. It becomes politics. So these fellows play at this boxing, you know, heavyweight boxing, then he would have to kill this fellow. That's it. He's going there to kill. Win. I'm not saying you should go in for defeat, but then you cannot compromise means for the sake of end. For certainly not. What's the means? Means is the sameness of the mind. That you are not wedded to the outcome, you are wedded to the appropriateness of action. That is your commitment. Your commitment is not to outcome, commitment is to appropriateness of action. Karyam karma samachara. Just for your information, understand that Lord Krishna is not teaching violence in Bhagavad Gita. He is teaching non-violence. Because violence and non-violence are not to be determined from an action. You may not be doing anything and you may be a violent person also. Suppose, suppose you are supposed to protect something happening to your family and some, you know, and then you say, I'm non-violent here. And therefore you don't do what is right for you to do. There is violence because allowed violence to take place in your presence. So it's not an action that is called violence or non-violence. It is a very attitude. So Lord Krishna teaches non-violence, understand? Non-violently perform the battle. Now that's a very tough task. But life itself is a battle, is it not? Most of the time we are adversarial relations, we have adversarial relations with many people with whom we interact. But be compassionate even to anybody. Not easy. Not easy to be compassionate to the person, Swami is attacking me, he is always insulting me, he is mean to me. Even though the person is mean, can you be compassionate? Can you be large-heartedness? Can you accommodate that? That's a, that's a greater challenge than other challenges that come in the world, really. This is a great challenge. And we may not be able to succeed in that challenge also, but we'll try again and again and again and see if I can retain my compassion in spite of how I am treated. That's how Lord Krishna describes a wise a bhakta, wise person. Advesta sarabhutanam maitraha karunahevacha. Advesta sarabhutanam, who does not hate anybody. Even a person who hates him, even that person also he does not hate. Maitraha, friendly with all. Karuna, compassionate to all. So this is the nature of the self, understand. You don't have to become this, you already are. Each one of us is a compassionate person by nature, inherently. 
So what is spontaneous for the wise person is because it is the nature of the self. And we are told to cultivate those values because they are in keeping with our own nature. So what is the means today will become spontaneous someday. Tasmad <clears throat> satadam All the time here, Arjuna, karyam karma, do what is right thing to do. What is dharma? What is in keeping with the values? What is in keeping with the order? What a given situation calls for. <clears throat> Samachara, samek achara, do it well. Don't be sloppy in your activities. When you are vacuuming here, don't shove the dust under the, uh, you know, under the rug. And then everything looks nice outwardly, no? Samek achara, do it well. <clears throat> because when you do something over yourself, you always do it well. Doing with somebody else is okay, you know. Cleaning my kutia, I'll be very particular. When I come to yours, that is, that is my service to you. I shove things under the shrug. That's not right. Samachara. So because even the act of, you cannot offer anything. So it is our tradition that whenever you offer something to Ishvara, to Devata, all the best thing you offer. Not the best thing you give for yourself when you offer uh, things that are to be thrown away. That's what people do. When they perform Satyanarana Puja, it requires so many materials there. When you go to the shopkeeper, the grocer, I want a betel nut. So he will ask you a question. What for do you want? You want betel nut for yourself or for Satyanarana Puja? <laughs> Where is Satyanarana Puja? Then you can get ten in one rupee. If you want for yourself, you get three in one rupee. Different things are there, you know, for offering to Ishwara something else. That's not right. You, when you offer, offer the very best. Samachara. Meaning that, put the very best of yourself in action when you perform the action. And asaktaha, unattached. Unattached meaning, becoming non-demanding. Have no personal agenda in performing the action. Identify the agenda of Ishvara or identify the agenda of a certain cause, not agenda of only gratifying your ego. What is meant by non-attachment is non-attachment from ego. You do something, not doing it for gratification of ego, doing it for a certain cause. Doing because it is the right thing to do. And therefore, it's not the outcome that is the motivation, motivating factor in performing action. It is the very action itself that's the motivating factor. Asattaha, satatam, all the time, karyam, karma, samachara. Why should I do that? What do I stand to gain? Of course, that question is always there. Suppose I remain unattached. Suppose I don't ask. I don't make any demand. So what will I get? Now that itself is the demand, of course. But the tradition is that whenever they enjoin something, when they ask you to do something, they should also tell you what the reward is. Second line says, Asakto hi achran karma paramapno di purusha. Purusha, human being. He, because, asaktaha acharan, when a person performs an action without attachment, without bringing ego into picture, without demanding the rewards, personal rewards. Detachment does not mean that you perform action without a purpose. That's not the point. 
All of the purpose is there behind the action. It is not my personal purpose, that's all. It's a purpose for a higher cause. Without purpose, nobody can perform an action, but not the purpose to satisfy my ego or satisfy my some personal need. It's the purpose which purpose of offering, purpose of a, some higher cause, purpose of Ishvara. <coughs> Asaktohi Acharan Karma Paramapnodi Purusha. If person param, supreme or limitless, when it is the highest, when it is moksha. Lord Krishna says that thus by see, means of moksha is said right here. All we need to do is very simple. Two things we are asked to do here. One is do what is right. And secondly, in so doing, do not demand any personal reward. Do because it is your privilege, as we discussed last night, because it is my privilege to do. It is my, it's my pleasure to do. I'm already so, so rich, meaning that I'm already so much, uh, I'm enjoying so much blessing, so much of grace, so much of, uh, I'm the recipient of so much of support. It's my pleasure to return the favor. And I'm not asking anything in return. That is called asakta. All these are very tough things to do, by the way. You know, they're all nice things to talk about, very difficult to do. And where is the difficulty? Because my mind is self-centered, is insecure, is greedy, and thus these inner impulses only cause difficulties. But the more you try to do this, more you become free from those impulses. Right now I'm controlled by the impulses. If I am controlled by this value, that will give me, enable me to overcome the impulses and thus become inner, gain a victory over my own mind, gain inner purification, which is a means for moksha, knowledge and moksha. <coughs> okay, we'll continue in the next class. Om Purnamadaf Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Balarayanam Sutra Bhashya Krutavande Bhagavanta Upanapunaha Ishvaro Guru Ratmedi Murti Veda Vibhaginaya Vyomavat Vyapta Dehaya Lakshinamurtaye Namaha Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Shri Guru Bhyo Namaha Hari Om